So how are we pronouncing it? I still say, I still say Kofif. <laughs> I heard Kofefe on, on CNN, and that's I like that better. Kofefe. <laughs> and I would guess that Fox isn't talking about it at all. So no. You want to know the pronunciation? Yes. You have to watch CNN. Oh. Um, happy Kofefe. Happy Kofefe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the symptoms of my cold is Kofefe, apparently too. Oh, so. do you take Kofefe to get better? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I yeah. think we got to feel that one out. Yeah. Just sprinkle a little bit in, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it suits you. Yeah. Uh, well, Suzanne Chad is here with us. Yeah, again. hi. Yay. I've been so sad and crying each week, so thanks for having me yeah, back. Yeah, welcome back. Thank you. And Phil Barker's back from his birthday bash. Woo-hoo. I'm back. Feels <laughs> great to be 32. <laughs> I wouldn't know yet, so. Uh, I wish. Um... Where were we? Do we do we want to spend about a few minutes on Kofefe? Oh, you got it, man. Like, yeah, got it. It's so... you should explain it first. Okay, so Can you. I, I... Spicer tried today. I'm explain sure he context, did. At least. Yes. All right. So late last night at 12:06 a.m., Donald Trump tweeted out, "Quote: Despite the constant negative press, Kofefe, stop. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Can you spell that for the listeners? Oh yeah, C O V F E F E." So we're guessing that it meant despite the negative press coverage, but it instead it was Kofefe, and then nothing. Nobody nobody cleaned the tweet up. It's it was there six hours. Yes, um, and then so then Phil so Spicer addressed it today. Yeah, they they responded in corrected to Kofefe. They've responded in a bizarre way because obviously I mean it's just a it's just a typo, right? Like we. Yes. He was going to say something negative about press coverage and accidentally hit tweet and then, I don't know, fell asleep? I don't know what happened. I, I thought but... he fell asleep before, like in yes. mid-tweet, <laughs> right. right? And then just like, his, you know. His ambient, his ambient kicked in <laughs> in the middle of it. Yes. Because um, he didn't even finish the sentence. Yeah, the, no. the, response, the response from the Trump administration has not been uh, like, yeah, he made a mistake. No big deal. They've like stood by it. Like the earlier, I forget who it was, somebody in the administration basically asserted that it was intentional that it was an intentional wag the dog tweet like that it was meant to get people like following and then spicer yeah somebody asked what it meant and spicer's response was that trump and a few people in his inner circle knows what he knows exactly what he means none of that makes sense with what trump said this morning when he re when he tweeted after he deleted that tweet I urge all of you to go out and look and see what Kofefe means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he doubled down. He did, right. and then the administration was like, "No, but it's a real word." It, so it's 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 like another mismanagement of and the why, whole administration. All he had to do was delete it. Right. Say or oh. just finish it. Just to say oh, just like, it, right? "Oops, typo. This right, goes away." Yeah. Right. When Spicer and you wonder whether Spicer was acting on his own. Did Trump tell him to defend this, or is it is Spicer just so programmed to defend everything? <laughs> It's just insane. Like, why defend that? Like, yes. I don't. There's no logic that leads you to say we're going to stand by this made-up word that no one's ever heard of, unless he and insist it. that it was intentional and means something. That's that's insane. He could. I mean, at first when I read the transcript because I didn't see it, I thought that he was being funny. Like, oh yes, only a few people know what this means, and trying to like laugh it off and be sarcastic about right. it. But that that's not what that was. He was being serious. And the press pool when Spicer says this just erupts in laughter. Right. And then. 
Then, like, he just tries to move on to the next question, next question, next question, next question. No, no. The insane thing about, I mean, Bill, you and I were talking a little bit about this before we started, but the thing that's crazy to me about all of this is, like, today, this and the Kathy Griffin story were, like, all over the news and Twitter, and it's what everyone was talking about. And it's, like, the fun, goofy story that everyone likes to talk about. And, like, meanwhile, there's, like, real stuff happening that nobody's talking (laughs) about, right? That that we all sit around and laugh about. Kofefe. Yeah. Kofefe. Well, there was a bombing in Kabul. Yeah. At, right? It's... We're withdrawing from the Paris Climate Accords. Like, Ooh. you know, all sorts of stuff going on. And, eh. Right. Kofefe. Kofefe. It's more fun it. to think about Kofefe, but it's not necessarily better for our country to think about no. Kofefe. That's going to be the new Pepe the Frog, by the way. It, it is a fantastic word. Yes. Kofefe. It's fun to say. I want to see all the memes. I'm waiting for yeah. the memes. He's he's brought us down to his level now, right? Uh, it's not even you know your Nick your prison example is, is still relevant, <laughs> but now we're all like little kids like go Fefe. <laughs> <laughs> Who died? Oh, right. uh, it's 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 just weird. Like I saw that this morning, like in a delirium. I'm like I couldn't have read that right. Like yeah. they're just you did. just why? Yeah, I like I. Like, and then why not, there's a simple way to resolve that, either to delete it or just to come out and say, oh, you know what, it was an accidental, you know, auto make a dial. Yeah, yeah right. Make a and it's done. Instead, there's this, and like you said, Phil, then we're wasting time. Instead of talking about real issues, we're talking about or, yeah, Kofefe. Have, keep the tweet that he had after the original one, and don't tell anyone yeah. that it's legitimate. Right. And how is there not somebody watching, like, alerted instantly whenever right. he sends out a tweet? Oh, right. Somebody within no, the administration. have to go through review from someone. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, but not the button. press office. No. There has to be some press other mechanism office. to review. There was, a re- there was a report this week that Trump now has a new iPhone. We were talking a little bit about this earlier, too. That he had, a, I guess, a years-old Android that was terrible <laughs> security-wise. Um, and he's finally upgraded to a new iPhone, and the new iPhone has one app on it, and it's Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is the only app that he has on his iPhone. Well, he has to have a secure phone to have autocratic dictators uh, call him. That's right. right. Call yeah. him directly. Yeah. And I wonder, because his hands are so large, that when he types on the iPhone, he has trouble spelling words correctly, and you get Kofefe. Kofefe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think that might be I mean, it, it, You're looking at the keyboard. It's a lot easier than you think it would. I don't know why... Did he just see it and it didn't autocorrect? He was kind of, fuck it. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't finish the sentence, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I would love to have been in that room. Oh. I don't even know. So should we talk about some real issues or should we keep, you know, more yeah, Kofefe? Fine. More Kofefe. We'll sprinkle that in. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we were talking about that. Maybe, the, I don't know if it's the biggest news of the week, but uh, the second half of Trump's trip to Europe. Uh the NATO interactions, and then we mentioned the Paris Climate Accord. That's probably a good place to start, right? Because Paris, uh, the yeah. Paris Climate Accord, yeah. which is apparently going away. Uh, but to me, this seems like the biggest shift in U.S. foreign policy of the last fifty years. The idea that the United States and Europe are moving in different directions—it uh, was—it was kind of a disaster. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and maybe maybe we should explain what what happened. Phil, you were uh, you're a master of all things Europe. Um, yeah, but I also spent the weekend in a Berkshire. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. No, I'll I'll tell you what I so yeah so he so Trump goes on this international trip that's that's you know been very carefully pre planned and you talked last week some about the the visit to Saudi Arabia and Israel and that was where it all started right in the Vatican. Um, which kind of went, you know, to sort of mixed reviews. People were thinking 
that he did pretty well, considering. Um, but then he went to Europe for the second half of this international tour, where he had a meeting with NATO and a meeting with the G7, um, both of which, well, I guess it depends on your perspective. If you are, if you love Trump, it might have been a success. Most, from an international you know, relations perspective, most scholars are calling it a disaster. Um, I, the, the big thing that got most of the coverage was at the NATO meeting where Trump addressed the other heads of state or heads of government. Um, and his speech largely consisted of berating them about not paying enough to NATO, which again is not how NATO works. But beyond that, the bigger issue was that presidents have a long standing um, pattern uh, of reiterating the U.S.'s commitment to NATO Article 5. Five. Five. Yeah. Um, which is essentially the mutual self-defense pact, right? That if, if any member of NATO is attacked, the others all will come to their aid. And Barack Obama, George Bush, had very explicitly at NATO meetings said that they stand by and reiterate U.S.'s commitment to, to uh, Article 5. And people were looking to see if Trump would do that, and he did not. No mention whatsoever of it. And it was at it. I didn't realize this until today. I guess it was at a, the dedication of a monument or a memorial to Article Five of NATO. I so it, it would. Like I mean, it would have been an easy thing level. to do. Um, but uh, yeah, so that left Europe, European leaders, kind of reeling. I mean, it really sort of. It, it may not seem like much to sort of an outsider, but but the absence of those words of, of reiterating U.S. support for Article 5 is huge. It really is. You know, it, it, it signifies possibly the remaking of, of international politics in, in a major way, maybe the biggest way since the end of World War II. So, okay, so for, for people who aren't familiar with uh, how NATO operates, I think the assumption is that they give, was it 2% of their GDP mm -hmm. to the alliance and that pays for their commitment. How does the system work beyond that? It doesn't even work that way. That, that's the assumption that most people have, but they, there aren't dues that are paid. The, the right. membership in NATO comes with a commitment to spend 2% of your GDP on defense. So it's each country is supposed to be mm -hmm. spending yeah. essentially. And, not, and most NATO allies are not spending 2%. They're spending less than 2% of their GDP on defense. Right. But that's where Trump continues to talk about how they owe money, and, and they don't. There's no, there are no dues. It's not like the UN where you pay in in some way. It's, it is, it is a commitment. It's an agreement um, that the. So there is a, there is a point to be made there, but, but it's not that they owe the U.S. or they owe NATO money. And this is a point that goes back. So this is something that Obama pushed and George W. Bush pushed, right? That that these other countries need to, uh, not to say take the alliance more seriously, but bump up that commitment. All right. that being said, there also is a lot of concern, especially with Germany, to, to rearm, right? So there's always this sensitivity to say uh, you don't want Germany to be this uh, military powerhouse in the middle of Europe. So that was always kind of tacitly understood. Uh, and Trump has pushed in a way that other, other previous presidents haven't. Um, well, I wonder, again, as the non-international comparative scholar, I was, as we were talking, I was thinking about given the... I don't want to say instability of the EU, but it is less stable than before. If NATO becomes unstable as well, then this could be incredibly problematic for the region. Is that an accurate assessment? Absolutely. When you think about the economic, security, yeah. political alliance, yeah. if the EU starts to crumble, NATO crumbles, everything that we've understood for this post-World War II mm -hmm. 
transatlantic alliance goes away. Um, there, there are interesting, uh, several uh, IR people that I was reading this week put forth the idea that this might actually end up strengthening the EU, that, mm. that the recognition on Europe's part that they can't rely on the United States means yeah. that they have to us. be more all in on the EU experiment. So, right. yeah, it, but it, what the thing it certainly does is it brings instability or, you know, uh, a lack of a, a level of uncertainty into, into the equation. Yeah. Isn't that and, what, I'm sorry, Phil, go ahead. No, I, and I was just going to say, and Putin loves this, right? Putin's yeah, going to be eating this up, right? Like, I mean, this is yeah. exactly what he wants. Right. Um, That's right. And the comment out of Merkel, so we mentioned Merkel, but she gave this uh, speech. It was like to a beer hall, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, they have, beer yeah, yeah, they have these yeah. pictures, but the quote was really important. She says, quote, the times in which we could completely depend on others are on the way out. I've experienced that in the last few days. We Europeans truly have to take our fate into our own hands. I mean, this is this is separating from yes. the United States, saying that Europe and, and Germany in particular have to do things on their own and can't count on... The United States. Uh, and isn't that what, if we go back to what Trump has been talking about, America first and inward looking and, and, yes. and all different kinds of nationalism and isolationism, and this, isn't this exactly then what he also wants mm-hmm. in some ways, right? Pretty so, much. hey, Europe, take care of yourself. If you're not going to pay your fair share for NATO, in quotes, then you do you. We're going to do us. We're still a superpower. You're losers. We're not. Yeah. I mean, that's it still plays into everything that he's talked about since the campaign. Yeah. But doesn't does. understand the consequences for the world. Well, right. And that's that's the big <laughs> deal. The, you know, this this idea that the United States, there's, there's been very little space between the United States and Germany for years and years and years. Yeah. It was just understood. And then he was... Our, go ahead. Our, arguably our best ally. Yeah. Arguably yeah. as yes. strong or more, or as big an ally or, or uh, maybe bigger than the UK. Yes. Yeah. And so then he picks this fight with Germany. So when, after Merkel says that, it's clear that it, it irritated Trump. He tweets uh, on Tuesday, quote, We have a massive, all caps, trade deficit with Germany. Plus, plus they pay far less than they should on NATO and military. Very bad for the U.S. This will change. Yes. Uh, and then apparently uh, to the president of the EU, he said, quote, The Germans are bad. Very bad. Look at the millions of cars they're selling in the U.S. Horrible. We're going to stop that. And where are those cars made? In the United States! <laughs> So it's it so it just well, seems it, a strange strange fight. It's schoolyard. It's schoolyard yeah. antics, yeah. right? It, it's a, it's part. an interesting and sort of startling juxtaposition with the way he treated the Saudis, right? So yeah. the, like oh, a few yes. days before he'd been in Saudi Arabia, no critiquing of human rights, no, which has been sort of the pattern of U.S. leaders when they go there. But it's an interesting when you put that up next to meeting with our best allies, yeah. in which his speech was all essentially critiquing and berating it, it it sent a pretty clear message and and you're right it does it does um fall in line with his world view um if you view they, they talked so the the was it mcmaster and somebody else had this op-ed in the new york times or washington post did you read that yeah cohen yeah yeah talking about how they don't view the international they, they don't see world politics as an international community basically it's this you know sort of everybody for themselves struggle right and the US is going to be a leader in that but they view it differently um, that's that's i mean that's a that's a big change and and it does fall into his world view but it's i would argue short sighted yes. right i mean that that article 5 the US is the only member of NATO who's ever invoked article 5 um, that was after September 11th, so we have benefited from it. Um, all of the intelligence sharing, I mean, all of this other, there's there's just so much to that, not to mention the stability it brings by keeping Russia and others in check. 
Um, yeah, it's scary. I mean, it's 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 startling, I think. And when you think about there are a handful of assumptions that are bipartisan in terms of U.S. foreign policy, and this alliance with NATO, you know, the connection to Europe, has is, is been one of them. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican president. This has always been something you support, you reinforce, and, and it's not just symbolic. There are, like you said, Phil, there are real benefits to that. Post-9-11, NATO absolutely supported the United States in Afghanistan. So it uh, this feels like the lowest that relationship has been, maybe since the Iraq invasion in, in 2003, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, there were the, France and, and Europe and Germany in general, or in particular, were, were cranky. Uh, but that's... But, but I, I would argue that it's lower. Yeah. Like, this is lower, because that, there was there was infighting, right? There was mm-hmm. lots of infighting. Germany and France were, were not happy uh, with the Iraq war. You know, Britain was on our side. But there was never in all of that any questioning of, of the underlying institutions of NATO, right? It, it was it felt like, you know, in family fighting, and Trump has yeah. like you know laid down the divorce papers, right? Like this right. is a big it's a it's a big difference. And pick a side, right? Pick mom or dad, and right? So the, right. basically saying the world community, it's like yeah, like you're with us or you're against us, and if you're going to be losers and be against us, then you can you know do you, and I'm going to do me, and not thinking about those long-term consequences for... And even going back to, Phil, what you were saying about the juxtaposing it with the um, with going to Saudi Arabia, that, you know, he picks fights with the Australian Prime Minister. He, you know... And, but then he talks about how Kim Jong-un is such a smart cookie. So why is he praising... And, yeah. you know, why is he praising dictators and not talking about, you know, uh, human rights violations? Well, I guess we know why, but still. But then picking fights with our allies and thinking that... That there aren't long-term consequences for this because he doesn't fundamentally understand what globalization is, what it, world interdependence yeah. looks like. It's it's you're right. It's such a startling contrast between the beginning of this trip in Saudi Arabia and Israel, which goes so well, right. and then the second half, which goes so poorly. And as you were saying earlier, Phil, when uh, Trump is giving this speech to NATO and talking about the dues and really going after the heads of state, they're all on the sidelines snarkily like smiling at at trump and i mean that that's that's the wrong image you want as well i mean it just it couldn't have gone any worse um the visuals were interesting so i get i'm sure all of you saw this and i don't know whether this was true but you know the video of him like pushing the macedonian leader oh that's right front of the line montenegrin Um, oh montenegrin excuse me thank you um sorry macedonians and montenegrin standing up for all the montenegrins out there sorry lost those listeners along with the hillbillies every time i'm on um, but then riding around in the golf cart and not walking with everyone else oh, through the streets. Right. So this air of superiority and arrogance and well, and that's him. But then he's also the leader of the United States of America. And so, yes, the world already thinks that we have an air of arrogance and superiority. Fine. But now that our president so actively presents this, it's just it's, it's frustrating yeah. And it sets us backward with what I would argue what Obama was able to do in the eight years as the symbol to the world of, you know, how he interacted with world leaders. To, to be fair on the golf cart thing. Oh my God. <laughs> he had shingles, actually. The, <laughs> no, no, he drank too much Mountain Dew, ate too many double stuffed Oreos. Yeah. He couldn't do it. Oh, well, so that, that, that visual, I don't know, that one didn't make as many, as much, make it in the news as much. But yeah, so that was the G7 meeting in Sicily. Oh, sorry, the G7, the yes. Six, yeah. The six other leaders were walking the streets together and Trump was right along behind in a golf cart. It's ridiculous. Uh. But... To be fair, the body has a limited amount of energy, and so <laughs> and he was exhausted. <laughs> right? Yeah. We, we, was it? Where were we 
talk was it when I was on last time or you all were talking about it on another episode how he was going to be so tired yeah because he had no yes. stamina to get through it right yeah. um and it was just going to be like how long was it going to take for him to recover and when was he going to go be in public in the U.S. again because he'd have to spend all this time recovering and... that, that explains Kofefe yes I right? think maybe <laughs> he's back he's, <laughs> he's halfway in his tweet he's, he's like, like gotta oh, go to bed what time zone am I in what's happening so speaking yeah. of the the trip over and the contrast between Saudi Arabia and then the second half in Europe, did you guys see this the the press conference with the uh, the interview the guy from the State Department? Oh my God! Yes, they've been rerunning it. Yes. <laughs> so they asked it was a high ranking individual from the State Department. They asked him a question like, "What is the difference? Like, why does the United States go after Iranian human rights violations but not press the Saudis in the same way?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, standard question, and you know it's. The answer is basically, well, Saudi Arabia's our friend, but you can't say that, so you have to, you know, <laughs> tap dance around it. So the question is asked, it takes him at least 15 seconds of just dead silence, where he's looking, and you almost think the video is stopped, because he doesn't move, he's just sitting there, and then has the most awful answer in the world. Yes, it's it's going around. Was um, he, isn't he like a high level, he's like an assistant to the assistant yeah. of Tillerson, right? Like, yep. he's like a high... Level guy. This isn't some like lackey. In the no, department. this yeah. is yeah. That was it was bad. Um, Boy, Tiller, Tillerson's a non-entity, isn't he? Like, yeah. He really. Yeah. He he just seems to be like he he's an empty suit. Like he doesn't. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> well, he's not hosting a Ramadan dinner, so there's that. Yeah. Definitely that. Yeah. So he's, he's, not, money. he's not doing not that, talking, right? Yeah. Not talking to the press. Not talking to the press. Yeah. Too, he needs to read short things only. Yes. Um. So, go ahead, Phil. No, I was just gonna. I, I think it's worth also just talking about a little bit about how the the I think the damage from the damage to the U.S. Europe relationship. Um, I, I've seen some people talking about how they they imagine it to be when you know Trump four years, eight years from now, a different president comes in, it'll be fixed, things will go back to normal. And I, I think it's worth talking a little bit about how that's not yes so easily yes. remade um, mm-hmm. that. What this reveals is the ease or the willingness with which the U.S. will withdraw from their commitments or will back down from their commitments. And that's a level of trust that's hard to rebuild. I'm not saying it can't be redone, but it's not just you elect somebody else and everything goes back to to, to normal. Um, I had students this morning ask me, a student this morning in my class asked me, what does this do for like the next generation, right? So mm-hmm. how how is how is our relationship with other countries and with foreign policy affected? Could this be like a generational change? And the question startled me because I hadn't actually thought about it. This is an intro class, so I was actually really impressed with the question. Um, You're fucked, kids. Yeah, no, <laughs> and, and she's also an education major, and she wants to go into social science education. So anyway, so my answer to her was, I don't want to say that it's entirely irreparable, but I don't want to want to underplay how damaging it can be and then talked i said exactly what you just said four or eight years from now the assumption someone else can come in and just fix it all not taking into account if he's doing this now what does four eight more years of this look like which would be even harder mm-hmm. to turn around and then what's the rest of the world going to be doing while we're backing out that's the thing. building alliances right. without us mm-hmm. that's not going to take over you know three three to eight years right. for Russia or China, especially China, yes. to fill the vacuum. China. They've right. already yes. the Australians have uh, already talked about it. Yep. a lot of the South Pacific, a lot of Africa. That's right. Like it's I, I yeah. Don't know. I, Putin is a big winner from this, but I think China might be an even bigger oh, yeah. winner uh, between the TPP, the Paris climate stuff, NATO, all of like the U.S. I mean, what the U.S. is doing, either 
you know, sort of delicately or not delicately, is stepping back from their role as sort of global leader here. Yes. And right. and China loves that. China will gladly fill that space if given the chance. Right. Um, I mean, they came out and have reaffirmed their commitment to the TPP since, or not to the, well, to, not to the TPP, to the Paris Climate um, Accords. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they're they fine with all this. Prior to the TPP, China was peddling a similar yeah. uh, mm-hmm. trade agreement mm-hmm. with 16 yep. countries yes, instead. Yes. And yep. I think they're pushing on that again already after and if you're and if you're a disaster. regional, a smaller country oh, in East Asia, you would you would sign up for that, right? Like right, you would, the TPP would be your first choice, but if the TPP is not going to happen, do something. do something. I mean, even you think about the Paris Climate Accord. So what? Yeah, 195 countries agreed to that, which is like almost impossible to think that it could even happen in the first place. Right. Well, because they they so watered it down. Okay. But you, so you get to that where everybody's on board, and then if the United States pulls out, China's going like you said, Phil. China will stay. Right. And then China becomes the global leader on environmental issues, arguably the most. Which is hilarious. I know. <laughs> but they created global warming as a hoax. Yeah. Obviously. Right. right. And now they get to fix it. <laughs> right. The hoax right. they created, so they get to be the hero. the money from the hoax. It's so great. It was all yeah. planned, guys. Right. This plays perfectly into China's lap because they are now the global leader on this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all he had to do was keep his fuck. Like you said, it's yeah. so watered down and it means next to nothing yes. at this point. That's right. Just shut up. That's Leave right. it alone. Right. Because the. This, the, Clair- the Paris Climate Accord, each state got to dictate its own standards, what they wanted to do. Right. So the United States, I mean, best case scenario, if all countries reach their goals, it's still not enough mm-hmm. to prevent what climate scientists say is like the tipping point, right? It's, it's, right. it's not there. Right. But the Mainly United- because of countries like China. China. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. So the United States, what we, sa- we said we were going to do was very modern, very, you know, easy, not easy to achieve, but not... Not mandated, not yeah. difficult, uh, and we're we're walking away from it. I think it's like you said, it's a lack of leadership. What's well, interesting? That, that, oh no, go ahead, Phil. Sorry. That that has you know that's what some people are concerned about is that as as meager as you know the Chinese requirements are or whatever that if the you there you know either the China steps forward and becomes sort of this new leader or China doesn't even feel the need to to um, attain the sort of meager. Uh, requirements that it is signed up for. So it, it, yeah, I mean, every country in the world except Syria and Nicaragua had had signed on to the Paris Climate. Right. Like, that shows you either either how weak it is or how much international commitment there is. Right. Yeah. If you are the only only country in the world, along with Syria and Nicaragua, that can't get on board with something, <laughs> yes. that's uh, I don't know. That that seems. So we we look at this. Silly. I was doing some research about this today, looking at the details of the Paris Climate Deal. And so what I did not know, and this is why I have my notes for the listeners, I have my notes in front of me, much like Bill, except with my laptop and not the fancy new iPad, is the terms of the deal require that, so the the deal was put in place in 2016, withdrawal cannot start until three years, for three years. So the first time that withdrawal can be given will be November of 19, Mm -hmm. and even that you have to give a one-year notice, which means technically speaking, we can't withdraw from this fully until 2020. Right. And it's November, so it's like right after the election. Hmm. Now, right. having said that, it doesn't mean that we he, we won't just stop adhering to mm-hmm. it. So there's a difference, right, between like, I'm not going to do this anymore, like you all were just talking about, or 
I'm gonna, you know, wait the the basically the four three and a half year waiting period to get myself out of it. I don't even think that that matters. At the second he says we're we're done with this, and that means we, we don't have to adhere to it. Those standards, whether yeah. or not we adhere to it or not, the fact that he's putting that out there yeah. to the rest of the international okay. community is mm-hmm. disastrous. And because this didn't have to go through Congress, Congress has no recourse here. But right. there apparently there's an underlying UN convention on climate change that was like the first step to getting the Paris climate deal. And so we can pull out of that, which then negates the Paris climate deal. And mm-hmm. that only requires a year withdrawal. Mm-hmm. But Senate had to be involved in that. So Congress, you, so the Senate's probably going to want to be involved. I'm not yeah. suggesting that Trump knows any of this, but this is, no. is going to happen. Yeah. But it's been interesting to go through all the different scenarios of how this could play out because, of course, I'm thinking institutionally. But to Nick's point, if he says he's going to pull out, we're not going to do it anymore. Yeah. We're not going to do it anymore. Yeah, right. But then, yeah. what does that say, going back to this general conversation about our place in the world now, about when we enter into some kind of alliance or some kind of yeah. um, agreement that we're actually going to hold up our end of the deal, yet we're going to expect others to hold up their end of the deal. It's yeah. just, it, it, it's bad organizational strategy. It's just bad. It's, it's bad policy. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's And the other thing I can't, I can't wrap my head around is that I don't know what the constituency pushing against this is. It used to be that it was, you know, corporations and big, big business. But my sense now is that, in a lot of ways, business is on board with this. Yes. They see Exxon, they, Exxon, Exxon Mobil is on board. Yeah. They want the U.S. to right. pull out of this. Yeah. Right. So if Exxon is saying this is worthwhile, we should be part of this. You know, that economic argument seems to go away. And so then, what other than just being a bad person, right? Like, what's the? Well, I mean, I, I do get that there's. The, those who don't think climate change is occurring, I think it sounded good. Yeah, I think it's a talking point. I, I yeah. honestly don't think he's ever looked into it deeply enough to know what it actually means or how negligible yeah. it, it is for it, any of the countries involved. I think it could also be, again, going back to his sort of overarching or what appears to be his overarching worldview, which or, I don't know if that's the right word to use even in this case, but. We're not going to do what anyone else tells us to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be part of this. We get to decide on our own, right? You do you. We're going to do us. We're not going to, you know, we don't need NATO. We don't need the UN. We don't need to enter into these agreements. They're useless because we're going to continue to be the world's superpower, mm-hmm. even though we're not going to really engage anyone else in the world. And you can't rely on us anymore. I, I do wonder how much of the lobbying last week backfired, right? So the Pope. Yeah. Lobbied him. I mean, the, all the NATO leaders, the, you know, Merkel was was pushing, Macron was pushing. Yeah. I mean, people were talking about the importance of the of climate, the importance of the Paris climate change. I, I wonder how much of that actually pushes, like, works mm-hmm. in the opposite with Trump. Like you can't tell right? me what to do. He hears people telling him, you, you have to do this, you should do this. And he's like, screw that, I'm not doing it. Right. Um, I don't know. That just—it seems like that could be uh, yeah. part of his personality. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Definitely. And I think it, it suggests that Bannon still has a role, right? I mean, this is because you know Jared Kushner, uh, McMaster, a lot of others, uh, Mattis have said that yeah. this, Tillerson. yeah, Tillerson. Right. And so suddenly, so so Bannon still is is shaping policy, at least on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Very yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, I mean, this. this this is a weird discussion because, like, this is a lot of our wheelhouses. Like, how do you feel? Like, what is I, this? Uh, similar to the the question that your students were asking. Yeah. Like, what is this? What does this do? What does this mean? Like, it's like I, of all the things that have happened, I feel betrayed. Yes. <laughs> I feel very cofethic. <laughs> um, of all the things that have happened since he took office, again, like I've. Defended some, I've whatever ignored some, and then I've 
railed against some, but the past, his trip to Europe and the, which we don't know what's going to happen with the Paris Accords yet, and then his actions with NATO, I don't think there's been anything else that has scared me as much as the past Mm -hmm. couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. His real policy, it's not, it's not just some mistake or some gaffe or being silly, the the reality TV show, these are real policies. Right. Uh, And he doesn't have the oversight of, you know, judges and Congress and anything else yep. in the international sphere, which right. is well, he has more more leeway here than anywhere else. Right, well, and that's that's what the he, that's the head of state role in the U.S. Right, I mean that was in some ways per, uh, purposeful on the part of the framers, but then also dangerous because of the way that they created Article Two of the Constitution. So he has the most leeway with being commander in chief and head of state. And so the consequences of the words he uses when having these conversations with foreign leaders, tweeting whatever he wants to tweet, who knows what the backroom conversations were like. They could be even worse than the things that we know. Um, With no oversight, right, as you just said, Nick, I think this is the most fear, or the most scared I've been as well, because there is really very little recourse of the other American institutions to reel him in. Whereas with with domestic policy, because Congress is so heavily involved, there are ways to check this, and Congress is already doing that, partially because of a fractured party and partially because of the institutions. Well, yeah, and the stakes at the international level are war. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, absolutely. No, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. And with NATO, it's such it's going against such a consensus too, yes. and and given that there are basically, like you said, everybody, Phil, but what Nicaragua and Syria. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, good company. everybody's on board with this, so it's it seems like these are no brainers. Uh, right. So you know, I'm just I, picking fights for no exactly. Reason. Yeah. I mean, what what in, how does it serve the United States' interest to not be involved with NATO? Like, I honestly, that's an honest question. Like, how to pick a fight with the leaders of NATO to call out Germany in particular, who, as you I think Bill yeah. argued rightly, is probably the strongest European country, particularly militarily. What what how does that serve Americans? Like, how does that make America great again? Like, quite yeah. honestly. Is, is, there, well, is, there, is there any kind of logic to this that I'm missing as a well, non-international sure. relations scholar? I, I, I don't necessarily agree with the logic, sure. but yeah, I mean, there, there's a logic that says that that the U.S. needs to quit being dragged into European... I mean, this is the kind of classic internationalist, isolationist sure. back and forth that's going on throughout U.S. history. So but there's an argument that says... globalization that that makes sense. Do right? what? Doesn't, that, doesn't what you're arguing make, make sense only pre-globalization? And economic interdependence, but not after. Um, I, I mean, I, so to to me, it doesn't make sense to withdraw from to like back away from NATO. But I could see where someone says, if if Russia decides to invade Ukraine or Estonia, like why should that mean more for the United States? Why should we be the ones that get dragged in to this? We should be better focused. You know, that you could make an argument for you know focusing more in in this area, spending more money. Um, domestically, but that's not really what he's doing, though, either, right? It's not like he's pulling, he's isolating himself and reducing international, uh, international uh, military spending. No, yeah, he's right. doing the opposite. Um, defense yeah. spending. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the thing I, I think there is a debate that can be had about what sort of role should the U.S. play in the international community. Is it impar- You know, is is it essential that we are the world leader? Um, I think you could make an argument that it's not, that, that you could help other, you know, that having other people or in other countries' institutions sort of lead would might be good for the United States. Um, I think the thing that scares me is the way in which it's being done, right? There's a way in which you could step back from international leadership. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily what we should be doing, but you could think we should take a step back. 
And you could do that in a way that doesn't destabilize everything. Right. And the way the Trump administration do, is doing it is sort of a burn it all down kind of approach, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's not leaving the world in a place where the U.S. can look inward and focus on other things. You're right. actually destabilizing things, making it so that you can't stay inward focused because there's going to be global turmoil. Yeah, yeah. there's no measured, really thought out process for any of this and and the fact that this all plays that putin agrees with everything that has happened here right like red flag alarm should go off to say like well maybe we should rethink this uh if if your long-standing european democratic liberal allies are wondering what's going on with you and putin and china are cheering you need to recenter yourself yeah Uh, well I, i mean and i i i think like there is some some wiggle room to talk about yeah, we need to do some reforms and whatnot with NATO and make sure everyone is on board and, you know, the alliance is, is yes. up to snuff that, you know, can take care of their domestic issues and then everyone is still capable of, of getting involved if need be. But like, just being an asshole about it. Like, yeah, I, I, like, I can't think of a better term yeah, description. Yeah. It's pushing the leader of the country. It's riding in the golf cart. It's this arrogance. Right. It's the... The literal and figurative pushing aside. Who's shitty to the Pope, too? That bugged me. Oh, my God. As a Catholic, that bugged me. The videos, like... (laughs) Okay, although I will say... Yeah. The The Pope... The grumpy picture with the Pope was great. Yes. But then, did you guys see, like, Trudeau... He was just as grumpy. Yeah, like, uh, the Pope took a picture with Trudeau, and it was equally grumpy. So, it wasn't (laughs) Trump-centric, but no. uh, I think the Pope is just, like, enough with the pictures. Yeah, Yeah. I don't want to meet Trudeau. Give me a break. Yeah, he's over that. I just, if I could say one thing quickly, and before about to transition, as we were talking, I was thinking about, you know, part of, I think, what's appealing for some of his voters is for him to say, like, it's not our job to be involved in all of the world's problems, right? We, we, again, America first, right? And so that's appealing. But then what are the consequences of us not being the world's superpower anymore, right? So if we can say, oh, we don't need to be the world's superpower because we don't need to be involved in everyone else's business, but then we can't turn around and say, hey, but look at us. We're the world's superpower. Right, right. You can't have it both ways. You can't make America great and then not be great. Right. Yeah. You can't give up your leadership role and then complain if Iran or North Korea get nuclear weapons or if, you know, Russia's doing something that you don't like or, like... That's you. You can't. You can't have it both ways. You yeah. Cannot. And with the blame that that he placed on Obama about how and the whole party placed on Obama, he was a weak leader. This vacuum was left open for ISIS and all of these, you know, these um, these vicious foreign, you know, entities to come and sort of like run over the world. Well, can we talk about like a vacuum of leadership for a minute and like where? Yeah. <laughs> and so, it just. So, well, yeah. I, I, and I mean, like, I am by no means a fan of. Obama's economic interdependence and strategic patience sure. and whatnot, but <laughs> this is the Fun complete. Off. It's scary. Opposite. It's scary. Yes. Like there's, there's, I, and I, th- there clearly is a middle ground because we're talking about the fucking middle ground. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know how difficult it is for no. anyone in that administration to figure that out. And it wouldn't matter who was if if somebody on the left or the right is having this conversation. Most of what we've been talking about is, I think, fairly moderate. It's consensus. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody Not from the alternative facts. Somebody in the State Department said, was describing this week with Trump in terms of foreign policy, and he said, quote, when it comes to diplomacy, President Trump is a drunk tourist. Oh! Uh, oh my God, I had not heard that's that! That's brilliant. And accurate, right? Because The golf cart, it took space yes. so much. Well, they were, they, were, they were people within the administration who were going around after these meetings reassuring European leaders that, that he, like, don't worry too much, he's an idiot. Right? Like, yeah, he's, yes. yes. Yeah. That's the, yeah. It's hor- It's horrifying. It is. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah, I, I it's mean, not it, funny. No, that's the thing. And there is something as much as you know. We don't 
you know, think we ascribe to it, there's an image thing there. Yes. Like, it's just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's so bad. And so, so much bad. of what, again, I said this before, what Obama was able to do with just his presence and what that means as a symbol in the international community is being unraveled very quickly. Europeans loved Obama. They did. Oh, man. They loved him. Almost as much as Barker. Almost as... Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I know we got to talk Jared Kushner, but can we hit Montana quick? Yeah. And the oh, fight? Of course I want to talk about Kushner. We, we, we can literally yes. take it by the neck and throw it to the ground. <laughs> yeah. And break yeah. some glasses. I am wearing do, my glasses today. Suzanne, do you want to do you want to summarize what happened? Um, uh, or, or do you want me to summarize and then you respond? No, I mean, any of that is totally fine. Would you prefer to talk about the throwdown? Well, no, no. I, I, so, okay, so this guy, uh, Greg, uh, how do you say his I, I think it's Gene Forte. Gene Forte, okay. So who was Republican running for, why was the, uh, a seat in the House? Why was this election occurring late? The, uh, it was a special election because the seat holder was elevated to a position in the Trump administration. I see. In, interior, right? Wasn't he yes, Secretary of Interior? Yes. And this is the Montana's only House seat. Oh, this is the, the guy who rode uh, a horse. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, well, so I'll just tell the story. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so, I don't understand. <laughs> So anyway, so it's a special election in Montana. It's the only House seat, so it's basically like a Senate race. Um, and I will say Trump carried Montana by about 24 points. Um, there is a Democratic Senate and a Democratic governor, so there is possibility for Democrats to hold statewide office in, in Montana. Anyway, the DNC kind of gave up on this race. Um, that's another story. Anyway, the point is, is that like a day or two before the election, and this is all on audio. Oh, the night before. The, the night, night before. No, the, the, night, night, the night before, before the election. The election. Yes, yeah. yes. So yeah. a reporter approaches this the, the candidate, Gene Forte, and basically starts asking questions about the Health Care Act and all this the stuff. The CBO score. Yes, because the CBO score just come out. And it's the audio, it's basically Gene Forte telling him, like, why are you asking all these questions? You're always in my face. And then all you hear is this, like, Russell, 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 throw, and then running away. So, <laughs> can I read the quotes? Yes, yes. So, from the audio. So, yeah, after these questions about the CBO, uh, Gene Forte says, I'm sick and tired of you guys. The last, and this is a Guardian reporter, I believe. Yes. The last time you came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Then he attacks them. And yeah. then all you hear is this uh, Ben Jacobs, the Guardian reporter, say, You just body slammed me and broke my, my glasses. glasses. <laughs> and he's donating his glasses to a museum now. Oh, good for yes. him. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy, so, can't wait to see that. And so, what's interesting. Interesting is that so Gene Forte never um, he never says he didn't do it and he never apologizes for doing it. He just kind of what? he says if this happened, then he says, well, he attacked me and we fought each other. And so go ahead, Phil. They well, they initially released a press release that was just straight up a lie. Yeah, right? yeah like, yes, I mean, the press initially, release yes. initially was not yes. accurate at all. Right, and that was, I think, before the audio was released. So when the audio was right. released, and yes. So after this happens, this, again, the night before the elections, Bill corrected me, then it's like, oh, maybe the Democrat can win this race. Oh, okay, so are we going to elect someone to the United States Senate who body slams a reporter? You're damn skippy we are. And we <laughs> yes. do, and now he wins by six points, which is less than he was expected to win by. So it's not necessarily convincing victory, but he won still. So I was talking about this with my students the other day, and there's um, kind of in the congressional circles on Twitter, there's this thing going around, and every time a story happens where people can't believe a Republican did something, got elected, all we say is, party is a hell of a drug. So <laughs> he is a Republican in a typical Republican state, even though there's some Democratic office holders statewide. The DNC pulled out of this race very, very early. 
and he wins by six points. And now, in what like sixty percent of the vote had already been cast before this, so that yeah, also right. suggests that there was a sunk cost of voters already. That's right. Because the next day, all like the papers pulled their endorsement of him. They did, uh, and because of early voting, which we say is a good thing because it promotes turnout. This is one of the negative sides of early voting, and this is again talking about the presidential election. People who had like already voted for Hillary, and then the Comey letter came out, and it you know it it's. It's, it can matter, maybe it, at the margins. It can't account for future body slamming, right? It, you it just could. don't know. You don't know. You could go ahead and body slam. <laughs> That's so right. what what is what I have, have found interesting about this is not necessarily this story, while it is, you know, interesting to talk about. It's just, and I was texting Bill about this, like this general like lack of decorum and decency now. Where this, I, I'm, I don't know if our listeners heard, but I'm sure you all heard of what happened in the tech on the Texas legislature legislative floor where the Republican member called ICE on the protesters and threatened to put a bullet in a Democratic member's head. I, I, I just have gotten to a point where I can't... I feel like when I talk to my students and I explain away Congress by simply saying party, which is the right answer, that I'm having like a moral problem with just saying, like, you can threaten somebody's life, you can body slam someone, but because you have a letter next to your name, you can, like, slide right into victory. I, yeah, but that's, I don't even think it's party anymore. Like, it's devolved into this this yeah. faction, ideological, just mishmash. Which is the new, the new evolution tribalism. of party. Tribalism. Right? Yes, tribalism, yeah. yes. No, yeah. I, and this is when Madison talked about factions. He did not... There's our weekly siren. Look at... Oh, my God. He <laughs> Somebody got body slammed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he got Go the You know, Madison would not have anticipated that they were going to be throwing each other down, especially the press. So loud. To Paul Ryan's credit, he came out and condemned this, right? In a way that Paul Ryan generally does not. He hasn't condemned much of anything. No, with Trump. Yeah. Paul Ryan, I mean, to be fair, Paul Ryan could refuse to seat him, right? Like, he he could say the Republicans could refuse to. He can refuse to swear him in, I think. Do what? I think he can refuse to swear him in. Yeah, so right? I mean, to condemn yeah. it and to say this is unacceptable and this is not part of politics is is one thing, but he they're gonna I mean they're gonna welcome his vote and he's gonna be part right. of the Republican caucus and yeah. it'll yep. be they, right. yeah there's no cost whatsoever for Paul Ryan to to say this is wrong and then welcome <laughs> to the party yeah, yeah, yeah vote with us right yes yeah. that's, that's exactly right I, yeah. I, I see a couple things here one is is the violence right that this happens uh, one is the lying uh, there's also I don't know. There's this like free speech element that's floating around here as well in terms of like you should be able to ask a member of Congress a question and not to worry about whether you're being attacked. A candidate at this point, not even a member. He's right, just a right. candidate, right? Yeah. Which, you know, not that that distinction necessarily matters, but yeah, you if, should. If a reporter had, re- had attacked, had body slammed a candidate, the right. reporter oh, would be right. in prison. Right, right. That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Well, I guess the, there are still charges, though, right? He could, he could. serve up to six this, months in jail. That's right. That's exactly, yeah, he definitely could. And, and like a $500 fine. <laughs> and I'm sure well, that he's like, I'm a senator. Now, it's totally sure. worth all of that, right? right. Because yeah. the uptick in national press coverage, mm-hmm. so you look at maybe Republicans in Montana who maybe would not have voted, who are very anti-press mm-hmm. and very anti-fake news, right? Or I'm sorry, pro-fake news that they think it exists. This could have driven some voters to go vote for him. Sure. So in some ways, to talk about sort of the devolution of party into this mishmash that Nick was talking about, that's another example of it. That And Phil's talking about tribalism, that if body slamming a reporter is a way to get you votes now, yeah. I don't care on what side of the aisle we're talking, although it's probably disproportionately to the right, that is highly problematic because of this new relationship that's been established, particularly since this election with the press and with I don't think anyone on the other side is physically strong enough to do it. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Chuck Schumer? No, can't Al happen. Al Franken? 
Hey, Elizabeth Warren's a badass. I bet yeah. she could do it. Oh, yeah. She could, like, shimmy or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, because, you know, she's Pocahontas, so she probably has, like, a spear That's right. or something yeah. in her backpack. Well, and the, the fact, to go back to what you said earlier, Phil, the fact that the campaign comes out initially and denies yeah, this. this never happened. Yeah, and then it wasn't until the audio, and then even, like, there were Fox News reporters there who said, no, he body slammed him. Like, the, their first yeah, reaction. The, it came out of Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. it can't deny, be deny, right. deny. Because, right. of course, the press is lying. Yeah. You can get away with saying that the press is but, lying. But what does it say when, like, there's so much spin that when your candidate literally attacks and body slams you, like, say nothing instead of lying to say that the, right. the reporter even... grabbed the mic Right. It's not even spin, right? Like yeah. they they weren't even like trying. They were just flat out lying. giving. They were just lying, right? Yeah. They were just saying this is what happened, which was not what happened, right? That's different from putting than trying to kind of twist it to like, to make it sound better than it actually mm-hmm. is, right? Um, but not yeah, I mean, that... I think that's a, the whole thing that just kind of I don't know. It just kind of crushes my spirit. Not and <laughs> this is like a microcosm. Like this is one like specific example, but it's like exactly. what's going on in this larger scale, which is that. There should be a price to pay for violating like our understanding of decency, right? And, yeah. and we're so deeply embedded in our political identities that we don't like we don't, right? Like it, it, decency doesn't matter. Like winning is more important than right. anything else. And that, I don't that feels icky. Yeah, that feels it does. It feels different than than certainly any time like you know not any time like the most when i think of like 20th century american politics there were there were rough spots right but there was like a level of decency and professionalism mm-hmm. even when they when people hated each other that feels like it's eroded away right. I, I don't know i mean we look at like when adams was running for re-election and he was called a hermaphrodite in the papers hmm. right yeah. so that's we are like modern day version of this yeah is you know you know trump calling hillary clinton a nasty woman and threatening to put a bullet in your opponent's head, threatening to lock up someone mm-hmm. who opposes you, um, and body slamming reporters. Mm-hmm. And um, thinking that you can simulate the beheading of our current president for right. art and comedy that's without speech. backlash. Yeah, that's all right, that's that's a good segue. Let's, yeah. let's nice do segue. That no. wasn't purposeful, but it sort of let's, worked. We, we should explain this because the readers may or the readers, the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, let's, I didn't yeah. even know. So yeah, I had no idea about it. Actually, yeah, I want to talk about it. Let's do beers first. Oh yeah. Get, sorry, we got to focus relatively low on that. All right. Um, that's what happens when I come? <laughs> Phil, do you want to start? Sure. Um, yeah, I started tonight. Oh, what happened here? Uh, I started tonight with a Smutty Nose Brewing Company Robust Porter. Smutty Nose is a New Hampshire brewery. Um, I wasn't sure that I wanted a dark beer, but it was what I had in my fridge, and uh, yeah, it was nice. I don't I don't like real heavy beers, and it wasn't it had like a nice kind of porter flavor, but it wasn't it wasn't heavy. I enjoyed it. You looked happy um, drinking the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Looks and very dark. I'm about to crack open uh, Lagunitas Twelfth of Never again because that's my go-to. Yay. Mm. All right, I uh, started with an absolutely wonderful beer. Maybe my face, favorite beer we've had in a long time. So Ooh. it's from uh, Great Divide Brewing out of Denver, and it is a uh, grapefruit Rattler. And Ooh. it was, it's an IPA, but it had just enough grapefruit in there. I mean, it was, it was like perfect. Uh, I could, I could drink a whole lot more of those. Um, <laughs> is it like a grapefruit shandy? No, it's not shandy like. It's still, it's IPA. it still has that like okay. hoppiness to it. It was, it was wonderful, but it was lighter, so it was. I think you might have liked it. Yeah, that was very good. Uh, now, my second beer was, uh, this is a new brewery for us. It's called Three Sheeps Brewing. Sheeps. Sheeps, yeah. 
Uh, it's out of Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and this was Water Slides. It was a, an IPA, and it was it was like super hoppy. It was very uh, it was good. I liked it, but it was a big transition from the uh, the first beer. Um, yeah, I uh, I like the label too. There's lots of graphs and figures, and there's the oh, it's very scientific. Yeah, it's a square root. Yeah, and I think all of it suggests that they're just putting more hops in. So yeah, that's um, a yeah. Of hops. Uh, I would not like that beer. Yeah, so three sheep's brewing. Uh, welcome like to the three podcast. Three sheep's to the wind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, See what I so mean? I'm going to jump into your response to is that is the rattler like a shandy? And you said no, they're very different. I did a quick Google search. <laughs> I can call it a shandy. <laughs> A Rattler is the German word for a shandy. Is that right? <laughs> oh. Parker. When your best friend calls you out on, the, on a podcast. Parker, you uh, foiled uh, me again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice I mean, job, we were going to call you on it, but, you know. Oh, all right. That's hilarious. Okay. Suzanne. Okay, so I'm, let me just say first to make fun of Bill a little bit. Mm. I wanted to, to pick the beers and purchase the beers this week because I always mooch off of them, mm. and he wouldn't let me. And I joke that it's because he doesn't trust me to pick them out. And he says that's not true. No, but not true. He always picks out great beers for me. And so today I, I had a Miskatonic. Well, it's called the Gardener. It's from Miskatonic Brewing Company. It's a Belgian style wit infused with lavender, vanilla, and lemon peel, and it was delicious. It's. I mean, those are all of my favorite words for a beer. Yes. So that was great. <laughs> And the can is this beautiful woman that looks like a dragon. So And they I, liked our picture of the beer instantly. Yes. So yeah. Miskatonic, sponsor the podcast. I will drink all of this beer. Send where, me some to my house. Where are they out of? Um, I don't know, but it says beer. It's really funny how it says beer. It doesn't, the can does not say. Someone do a quick Google search. On it. <laughs> it I, honestly, I don't see it anywhere on this can where it says Miskatonic Brewing Company from where it We've had originates. stuff on here before. Have we? Yeah. Um, so I was a slow drinker today, so I'm just starting my second one, which is a Sam Adams Porch Rocker. Um, tart and refreshing seasonal brew. It is, it's very good. It's a very faint citrus. I prefer a punchier citrus. Mm-hmm. For a Rattler? For, I prefer, apparently, yes, because okay. I like me a Shandy. Um, it's good. I do like it, but I, if I was trying to compare this to something else, with lemony, I prefer more lemon. I will say part of the reason I got that beer is my good friend Wayne Flogel, who used to live down the street from me, he and I would have many, uh, many of these uh, porch rockers oh, in our backyard. Is this the neighbor that moved that you were so sad? Yeah, Wayne moved away. And he <laughs> listens to the podcast, so Hi, shout out Wayne. to Wayne. <laughs> Thanks for introducing Bill to this beer. It was quite yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, it was good. Miskatonic um, is in uh, Darien, Illinois. Oh, and uh, their tap room is open till uh, 10 p.m. tonight. So oh. if you listen to this podcast and you're uh, you have time, head on over and, <laughs> and get and it's the Gardener, which was the one that I had. All their stuff is pretty good. Um, I had a one from Oscar Blues uh, in Colorado. I don't know if it's Fugly or Fugly. I'm gonna go Fugly because that's funnier. With yuzu and ugly or ugly fruit. Um, well, ugly fruit is a real fruit. Yeah. Is this ugly fruit? Okay, it is, so it's fun. It looks ugly yeah. on the outside. I got it's it. like bumpy and stuff. I got it now. Um, yeah, I um, have a cold, in case you didn't Can know. You taste it? I literally cannot taste it. <laughs> so it tastes bubbly. Um, okay. It looks beautiful. Mm. And Oscar Brew is, is a fantastic brewery out of Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this stuff is good. No, I'm sure it's delicious. Uh, so, but my bad on, on being ill. That's the only one I've had because I want to get rid of this cold. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so that's that. Um, that's all of us. Uh, head, head chopping? Head chopping. Why don't, should we, we should explain what Kathy yes. Griffith did. Yes. What she did. What did she do? Do you, oh, do you want me to explain it? She she quit being funny a long time ago. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to re, restate her relevance. Um, 
basically she did a photo shoot where she was holding what looked like a, a what looked like a decapitated Donald Trump. So it was like his head. Bloody, bloody. 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 It was very gory. It was very, very gross. gross. It was. I mean, it it was disturbing. It was. Yeah. It looked like some like sci-fi quality. It wasn't. You know, yeah. It's just like she cut off a mannequin's head and put some ketchup on it. Like it was legit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And caused lots of reaction. Yes. Yeah. Lots of reaction, including and... CNN firing her. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. Nick, yes. appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I like that prompt. As you I, sip your beer. I'd actually like to hear your responses before I give my response. So, I'll I'll start. Uh, I I believe she has the right to do that. I mean, she's a comedian and she likes to push boundaries, so she has the right to do so. Uh, I thought it was inappropriate. I thought she should have chosen something else, right? Uh, but she has the right to do so, and I'm glad CNN fired her for it. Like for me, this feels like. The system worked in a way that it should work. She did something stupid and is paying the price for that. Uh, yeah, it was in poor taste. I mean, especially given that, I mean, the United States has a history of presidents being assassinated, right? Yes. And, and Donald Trump, in particular, draws lots of ire from different people. So, like, for me, that felt like an inappropriate choice, a choice that she has the right to do so, but there should be consequences, you know, for for, for doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. Ditto, yeah, I mean, back, back to, like, the, the discussion of, like, decency, right? Like, you're right. I mean, she has, you know, free speech and all that. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just stupid and wrong, right? Like, if you're going to get mad at Donald Trump for inciting violence against reporters or whatever, you have to be, I mean, at least as mad about this. It's just, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I, to me, there's not that much, like, I, I don't know. Maybe you have, there's not that much to discuss. It was totally stupid, and she should be condemned and... She has a right to do it, but she's dumb. <laughs> and, and to her credit, she apologized and after the fact realized that it was a terrible choice. Right. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't I, mean... I feel a little bad for her in the sense of, I was saying this earlier, I've, as a person who has done stupid stuff in the past that I regret, I feel a little, you know, I, I understand that. But yeah, I mean, she's, yeah. I, I, so I, what, I was talking about this with my students this morning as well because they didn't know about it. And so it came up and... I'm not an artist. I don't understand sort of social commentary in art and performance art and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not entirely sure that's what she was doing. But if that is what she was doing, then she should have thought better about the unintended consequences or side effects of basically simulating beheading of our current president. Mm-hmm. Because some have argued that she could actually be arrested for threatening the president's life. I don't think that's what she was doing. Mm-hmm. But theoretically speaking, that could happen. Um as Bill said, with the history of having presidents assassinated and this particular president. So just today, there was a man that was in a Trump hotel that was found with, like, all these guns and all this ammo because he just wanted to be close to Trump. Mm-hmm. Like, what was he going to do with all of those things? And so... Clearly protect Trump. <laughs> or one of my students <laughs> today right. said, to thank him for protecting the fact that I can have an assault rifle. So I'm yeah. going to show you that I have it. I'm going to brandish <laughs> it in your face. Um, but I... What I found, I was saying this to the gentleman before this started, what was so interesting is that the some reporting is that the right is mad that the left is not defending her and that the left is just as mad at her as the right is, which boggles my mind again to the point of decency that everyone should be appalled that mm-hmm. this happened, regardless of on what side of the aisle you sit. Yeah. And so that one side is saying to the other side, we're mad at you for not being mad about something we're mad about. Yeah, I'm a little confused on that one. Right, just seems... Like that, there's literally nothing we can come together yeah. on. Come together on anymore. She can bring us all together. Maybe she yeah. can. Maybe she can. And she, you know, she's 
been sort of irrelevant-ish, and maybe this is her way to reestablish her relevance and kind of get back in the discussion, but she now lost basically the only steady job that she has because she did this. Did she do anything on CNN other than Every New Year's year, Eve? Uh, no, but that's enough. Yeah. I mean, she hosted that yearly with Anderson Cooper, yeah. who and they're very, very close friends apparently, so I wonder, I mean, he hasn't yeah. come out and talked about this mm-hmm. at all, but um, I will say just, I, I don't think that her gender should play a role in this at all, but it is much harder for female comedians to get away with particular types of humor than it is for male comedians. We look at someone like Amy Schumer, mm-hmm. who's incredibly funny, but... Men, some men have a hard time with her because she speaks in ways that male comedians can do, but they don't want female comedians to do. So, again, I don't think that her that Kathy Griffin's gender is necessarily important in this conversation, but right. a larger conversation about female comedians and yeah. what they can and can't do. Um, I think there'd be just as much outrage if this was a man, but I still think it's mm-hmm. an important yeah. thing to at least just bring up in sure. a conversation about a female comedian. Mm-hmm. Nicholas. <laughs> You've heard us all now. It's your turn. She is, without a doubt, one of the unfunniest people on the entire <laughs> planet of Earth. Um, I just... I, I, I completely agree. It was done in poor taste. Mm-hmm. She definitely should have thought about it. There is no part of me that thinks she should have been fired. Really? None. Oh my god! No. Why? I, 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 and, and well this is, done, <laughs> Nick! Well played, sir! <laughs> no, I, and I, again, like, I understand coming from the standpoint of history of assassinations and, you know, the thought that she could have been threatening the president and whatnot. Let's look at the context a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and this has, uh, you know, nothing to do with the fact that she was that she's a comedian or she was on CNN or, or whatever, whatever the outlet was, the fact that she did that and as much as it kind of looked realistic, whatever, however realistic it looked, I, it's, there needs to be a context of, of satire that I feel like we've lost mm-hmm. a lot over the past, uh, I don't know, let's go eight years, something like that, um, that the immediate reaction, whether it's from the public or the institutions that these people are a part of or work for, that the only solution is to fire that person. Um, This is, clearly she did not think this through, but at the same time, what benefit do you have firing someone who realistically was part of some major elements of that organization and, you know, brought in probably some audience at least Certainly, the unfunny people who like her. And um, I, I just, I, I, the immediate reaction for people to go, we just need to get rid of this person, regardless of what the situation is, is not always the proper response. Like you could go, she's been reprimanded, she's been suspended, uh, she's apologized to the public. We're we're keeping her on, or just don't see anything after that. I I don't. I, I, I don't agree with the firing of her or anyone in those particular Well, so let me, ask, let me ask you. Oh, sorry, Phil, go ahead. No, I was, there's a part of me that, that, that part of me that I said feel sorry for her because I've done stupid stuff in the past. That part of me kind of agrees with you, Nick. It feels like in, we are in, in our society, we have done away, certainly not in all areas, but in certain areas, we've done away with any room for making mistakes, right? Like, it, there, it feels like there are times where you don't, like, I don't know. It seems like there's a there should be a place where you you do something stupid, you're called out on it, you get and a you adjust and don't do it again. Right. And if you do it again, do then, it again, you then get you're fired or pay right. a price. But there's like 
we should be able to learn from our mistakes in some to some extent. Now, right. she also, you know, this is not the first sort of controversial <laughs> or sure. or <laughs> thing that she's done either. So, I, right. you know, maybe she's had the opportunity to learn from her mistakes. But yeah, I mean, I can see that. It's yeah, I, I don't know, like. Wasn't she drunk on New Year's Eve or something like that? But who isn't drunk? Oh, right, Anderson always. Cooper was Not too. Necessary. But yeah, Anderson Cooper puts up with a lot with yes. her, you know, or yeah. used to um, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. But yeah. realistically, it's not like this is happening like every week, and they just keep letting her go. Like this, it's so infrequent mm-hmm. that she does something that's and, well, anyway. out there. And clearly, I mean, at least from my perspective, like you said, kind of looking for some sort of, you know, way back into the yeah. into the yeah. limelight. You said that, didn't you? I did say yes. that. Yes. Um, I can, Bell can have credit for it. Yeah, yeah whatever. Doesn't, Give the man the credit. It's fine. Yeah. Doesn't... <laughs> it's about <know>. time. <laughs> <laughs> you white men really need your due, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> like, we've talked Does, about... I mean, she has a long history of being fairly controversial, right? I'm not familiar <laughs> with her stuff. Yes. That's but she's been, been so unfunny, it doesn't like, matter. <laughs> CNN, I mean, CNN, this is the... There, there's a known... In, it's sort of like why I don't feel all that sorry for the voters who were upset that they voted early in the Montana election, right? Because the, the guy was a known entity before he body slammed someone, right? right. So, it, it, like, I don't know. CNN acting sort of shocked and outraged by this is... Right. I mean, I get that they probably have to do that, but I don't know. I mean, isn't that kind of who... The type of comedy that she... Isn't that kind of who she is? This sort of outrageous... Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking, uh, thinking about this, too, that the type of people who probably like her don't like Trump, and then those are the t- type of people who are more likely to watch CNN. So mm-hmm. if CNN is worried about ratings, given that now CNN has been dubbed fake, fake, or very fake news by yeah. the Trump administration, I don't know, maybe it was an advertiser's issue, sort of like Hannity and O'Reilly. And so they were trying to kind of, you know, even though she does one show a year, advertising on New Year's Eve is probably really, really expensive. So I'm sure that it had something to do with, you know, the shareholders and the corporation as a whole thinking about the kind of revenue that might get lost as yeah. opposed to well, you know, what's it going to do our ratings the one time a year she hosts something? But they, they, they also fired her in, like, two hours. They did. Right. Yeah, was, yeah, did they have a time to, you know, negotiate all of that <laughs> right. ahead of time? Which they have a right to do, right? And I, I think they're, you're exactly yeah. right. They're looking at bottom line, saying it's not worth keeping somebody like that around. But that's, like, and that's the other thing. The yeah. fact, the, the issue that I see a lot with this stuff happening is that there are major corporations that have shareholders and boards of directors, and it's not a content-based decision or what's going to be better for the content down the line, it's we could possibly lose a sponsor or a minute amount of our viewing audience, and that's it. Yeah. Well, yeah what it's I was a think- numbers game. What I was thinking about when you were talking about this before, Nick, about how they jumped to firing was the, this, the Billy Bush incident, right? Mm-hmm. So this tape comes out, the Access Hollywood tape comes out, Billy Bush was just about to start a stint on the Today Show, and they fire him. And... He was complicit in the conversation, but isn't actually saying anything in the conversation. But that's enough to get him fired by mm-hmm. NBC. Right. So this one of the questions I was going to ask you, which I don't think it's appropriate, so I decided not to ask it. But I'm going to tell you I was going to ask you anyway. Okay. Was like, you know, was it appropriate to fire him more or less than appropriate to fire Kathy Griffin based on the level of involvement in a particular incident? But it sounds like what you're saying is we're just they just jumped to firing too quickly for any of these kinds of things. Mm. And again, as you said, and we all said, because of this idea of the bottom line. Yeah. And, you know, what yeah. might it do to today's show ratings if Billy Bush ends up as a co-host? Right. Well, and it, in this hyper-partisan environment, if they don't make that choice, yeah. she becomes the storyline until they do, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's Fox or somebody else or Billy Bush, same thing. Like, mm-hmm. 
they, the he will become a target, and so that's why these networks have to it's like to let's cut. close the news cycle. Yeah. Let's you know yeah. make it yesterday's but news. That's the thing. Like the the old old school thought was we're getting publicity out of this, which yeah. means somebody is going to be watching this that wasn't watching it previously. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I with the Billy Bush thing, I think that was such a a, a minute uh, incident, at least from his per, his perspective. Mm-hmm. Like I. Do not think he should have been fired. Mm-hmm. I think he should have had the um, uh, option to apologize once he was actually a host of the Today Show. And, and they didn't I, give him that option. They didn't give him that option. Like, yeah. and, and like you, you mentioned, Phil. Like there's, there's, you can't learn from a situation. They don't give you time to do that and to be contrite and you know change your behavior. Which whether you believe it or not, just say that you do and move on and don't do it again. But I, I think, especially when it's from a, a comedic perspective, there's a complete lack of... Everything is taken literally to the umpteenth degree. And I, I think that's I think that's really detrimental to popular culture, especially when you're talking about news media. It's interesting how comedians can't apologize, but politicians can. They right, have so, to. Yeah, so if a politician makes a grave error like that, and maybe it's because you can't fire them that they have to stick around for a while, but they make an apology, and it's instantly like, okay, they apologize. We move on. Right. I mean, what's his name? Uh, Gene Forte. He does ultimately apologize, and that maybe makes Still it better. Still doesn't say he did it. After he lied about yeah, it. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, but yeah. a good good. I'm sorry, and then, you know, you get to move on. Right. And become a house member. Yeah. And, and Kathy Griffin, Griffin, right? That's her Griffin, last name. Griffin, yeah. Griffin. Griffin. Uh, did, did issue a very, what seemed like a very sincere apology and, you know, sort of owned up to it, but... Damage done. Mm. Uh, good week. Right. Good stuff to talk about. <laughs> We, we need... didn't even get to the budget. No. All or, I wanted to do was Kushner, talk about the budget. Or Kushner. Or Kushner. We're at time, right, Nick? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much done. Um, plus... well, thank, thank you, Suzanne. Yes. Thank, thank you for yeah. having me back. I fun. appreciate it. I yeah. love being here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Facebook. So we have a new picture on Facebook of all of us, including Suzanne. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can't wait to look at it. So you should... Sh- it's, a, it's like an ad, so you should share it with your friends. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Barstool Paul, um, Barstool Politics at Yahoo.com. Still there. Still Have there. Got, is only one email has We did, and we recently got an email uh, from Dominic, a former student who wants us to watch like some old political movies and then talk about them. Ooh. Mystery Science Theater? Something like that. It'd be Featuring great. Yeah, yeah Dom, great idea. We'll, we'll think about it. Yeah. Like it. All right. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.